Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You'll also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Today, we are going to talk to a very special guest, Shiv Kumar, who's my coach and who's also my very dear friend. He talks about his cascading passion, which has led him to several continents and countries. He talks about starting with technology at its heart, exploring cultures and taking it to capability building of people and what makes the high performing organizations and teams. He also talks about several misgivings that could act as takeaways for all of you. Listen on. Welcome to the Software People Stories, Shiv. I'm so glad that host. Well, great to be here. Better late than never. So I'm very happy to be bringing up the rear as one of your PM Power hosts doing this session. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Shiv, for agreeing. One of the uh, first things that I want to get started is that what is your passion or drive that gets you in a software when you see and it must be different in various phases of life right yeah it's a good question you have to begin at the beginning so what i believe is that very often that i didn't discover passion in some very easy manner right i have actually experimented a lot with a lot of things and sometimes the fact that you have a passion for something comes out of that experimentation so like for example like you I did electronics engineering and like many decisions youngsters make then, made then and make today. It's just choice of branch of engineering you study is pretty much a function of how well you performed at the entrance. And did that indicate I had a passion for electrical or electronics engineering? Not really. I just followed what my performance indicated that I should pick up as the choice. Electrical engineering is a vast subject. And I experimented and I found some subjects were really, really extremely interesting subjects. Circuit design, for example, basics of electronics, the underlying principles of semiconductors and so on, the transistor effect. There are other subjects which are very packed and uh, electromagnetic field theory for Maxwell's equations, not an easy thing to recall those days and struggling with it and making sure I got through those courses without any damage. A lot of experimentation led to many things that I discovered to be my passion. Like for example, software was a novelty. There are no big icons of software at that point in time. Certainly the Indian software industry, the big icons of today were just starting to be icons at that point in time. So the Tata organization was the big icon then. And certainly there are there are no personal experiences of my seniors working in those organizations and telling me a lot and enabling me to discover this passion, if at all I had. So we pretty much got into software without fully knowing what it was. So that led to a lot of experimentation. So for example, we didn't know a particular technology interested me more than something else. We all started mostly with Burroughs mainframes and then IBM mainframes. So at that time, the attitude was which specific aspects of technology interested someone was of no concern, either to, either to the organization or to the individual concern. They pretty much threw us at whichever project, whichever technology, whether it was application software or middleware development and things like that. We also felt that, uh, look, we are all supposed to be capable people. We will just adapt, learn on the fly and do the job. That was very much 
the mode of the day at that point in time. In fact, I recall there was no separate quality assurance in those organizations where I worked in at that point in time. Testing was not somebody else's job. Quality assurance was not another function. As project manager and developer and analyst, it was the project team's job. There was no special roles and functions. So all this divide later on and development and support and quality assurance, they were all, I think, in my opinion, some later day, if I may say so, anti-patterns. I mean, this is an arguable point. So we felt that we had to do everything and we pretty much did everything. Of course, people now have come a full 360 degrees and talk about T-skills, full stack developer. These were things we were full stack when we started our career and that was the expectation that over a period of time i gravitated towards application software because there were two kinds of passions so one was that i wanted the an opportunity to interact with multiple cultures and people and different countries i thought and i still think I, that's a it's a fascinating thing to work and to to get solutions developed in in a variety of project contexts and you know cultures interacting with stakeholders. So I believe that uh, interacting with stakeholders across such a wide, diverse spectrum in terms of countries, languages, and it's a, it's a very exciting thing. That's, that's the key thing for my passion. It was one of the reasons for me to switch from a stable India-based job to a job which involved a lot of travel. So I had to go from the US to the Middle East to Australasia and, and Africa in some cases and deal with varieties of situations. So I felt that to be the front end of a project, talking to customers, talking to the business, and then making that connection, those customers with the implementation team was really the, the, the most exciting part of it. And I think to this day, that continues to be a major challenge for me, becoming project managers and program managers first time in their careers. The other thing was that related to that was I'm extremely fond of books. What that resulted in was that I became very, very fond of storytelling, right? Storytelling as a means, means of communication, as a means of even getting somebody to learn, pick up something. So maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit. So let me just rewind back a little bit to those early experiences in projects because that which led to another passion. So I must emphasize that it was not passion for software or technology alone. That is certainly one ingredient, but all the things around software development became my passion. Like for example, people capability development, right? Working with stakeholders, because I had experience when I had the best of project team members in a project and the project performance was pretty disappointing. And I just couldn't figure out that we had, we had everything going for us. And there are other occasions when the team was okay, not the top performers in the organization, very dedicated guys and girls. And the technology wasn't anything to write home about. It was mainframe support and in some cases monitoring the production schedule and things like that. Not the most exciting jobs in the world. And there were the guys who, were, who received customer accolade month after month, globally supporting some of the key warehouse applications for General Motors. In fact, the India team's performance was often cited in their newsletter. So I said, what's the difference? These are all average dudes, uh, as far as I could see. So I think that was the recognition that the project is a social organization, among other things. It is not just an assemblage of team. The team formation, stages of team formation are all very important. But fundamentally, you can't take away the fact that it is a social organization. And sometimes that makes all the difference in terms of how well people uh, gel into that environment and are able to contribute to their best in terms of their actual performance. I believe that people motivation and therefore team motivation and their ability to rise up to higher expectations and deliver is a tricky thing and it's not bringing all the ingredients together but still you may or may not get it and that is when I felt that 
as a project manager, I had a much deeper and greater role rather than be the stereotype of being a very directive manager, which in the early days was probably my style. For a period of time, my passion was how to get project teams rise up, develop and deliver to their full potential. I think that became a challenge. I took it upon as a personal goal that fundamentally about the capability and how they do it. Okay. Rather than to see myself as the guy who had to whom I expect people to come for every question that they had and expect to find an answer in. So I think that changed quite a bit and therefore people development and therefore an interest in helping people learn, helping organizations learn became a passion. But within the organization, I think it was not the easiest to, to follow this path because I was line manager, I was a delivery manager, I, I was accountable to the customer, profit margins and things like that. So this was uh, focusing more on people development, coaching, mentoring. It was I was a different kind of a manager, I think. It was hard, right? It is not, doesn't come automatically to say, okay, can I develop that? It means that you're actually concentrating for the future, for the long term, while getting your account management, getting your PNL in place and all of that is for today. Otherwise, your management is going to come and ask you questions. It's always a dozen yes. in terms of operations management for the now and yes. uh, for the future. I think that is a balance that often managers falter, including yours truly. I have, I, have, I have had my struggles during this period. Yeah, absolutely bang on, Gayatri, because I did have the struggle. Because although my natural instinct of how to run, how to be responsible as a leader of the project, not just as a manager of the project, focusing on people development and the longer term goals for the individual, there was immediate pressure of having to deliver and meet goals for the customer and for the organization. It was not always easy. I could, for example, say that I could not do one part of it. So I had to do what was then considered the core of my job. So that is, in a sense, so there is certain constraint. Like there are a lot of which in later years as part of PM Power in terms of training, consulting, mentoring, coaching, which I did for, for a number of customers. And in one of those uh, customer sites, there was a person who had worked for me earlier. She actually said, Tim, how come you didn't do this as much when, when you are a delivery manager, when you are a line manager? I said, absolutely, because of the juggling of priorities and I had certain other goals. So I couldn't do it as much as I wanted to, which is probably one of the reasons for the exit from the regular corporate world. Because as one of my friends used to remark, that if you are inside an organization, there is a certain leverage you have. And therefore, you know, that is kind of limiting. When you actually step out of the organization, your leverage somehow increases. He actually showed me this picture of, I think Archimedes it was, and with a proper liver and the proper fulcrum, it shows the picture of Archimedes lifting the world, right? So sometimes when you are outside, you have that fulcrum and you have that liver. So even today, sometimes people say some of the actions that I suggest to customers are all common sense, I would say. And people will say, no, but Shiv, you as a consultant, you come and say this, you will have the years of the senior management and leadership. So that is another you know, symptom of people feeling that somehow from outside, we do have a greater leverage and influence, which is probably true in a lot of cases. And that is one of the contributing reasons of moving out of a you know, regular corporate career into more training, consulting, coaching. And so. I'm curious, so when you were speaking about high-performing individuals having a clear project goal, it didn't really succeed. 
and what were the key learnings can you elaborate on that story that will hit the home right uh, in terms of motivated individuals and everything. i think it had to it's a good question i'm just thinking about some specific projects where we had the situation i think it has to i think to use a, an oft repeated uh, phrase you know cliche you can say lack of goal alignment and when i say that in many cases it could start all the way from the customer or his articulation or his business case and things like that in in this particular project i'm thinking of as an example nobody really he knew why the customer was doing what he was doing like for example it was a retail chain and it was not a very big retail chain it was based in the pittsburgh area his usp was that he would have a retail chain was focusing on servicing senior citizens so even what this was some you know several years back he had facilities in the application suite of tracking them knowing their regular orders some of these features may be bread and butter features for retail chains online shopping today but this was a time when he was specially catering to senior citizens their location their preferred times for package delivery so he will actually deliver packages at home so this was the application and he needed some upgrades this is a pretty interesting project but what happened over a period of time was he was actually building lots of bells and whistles which had nothing to do with servicing senior citizens more effectively so there are certain features which are clearly mapped to this persona of senior citizen shopping or placing an order either online or in person and then getting service so we we kept discovering a lot of things which are quite outside you know like for example interface with a number of point of sale devices the senior citizen is not going to had no use for all these interfaces so we were wondering why on earth you know are all these interfaces being built and things like that there are other features also which are quite outside the main core business case so then we figured out that he was actually building a product vision was not just to service senior citizens in his three four stores he was spending close to half million dollars which is itself should have raised some doubts as to the kind of investment he was making given his size of operations so he was actually building a product hoping to sell the product he was diversifying into another business he was looking for a mid tier comprehensive retail solution that's what he was building and we had signed up for a specific set of enhancements so obviously you can see the disconnect that we were questioning everything and there were a lot of discussions relating to oh but you didn't tell us well this requirement was not there all the classic instant hope disconnect arose because he didn't really share his vision he had his own motives he didn't want to tell us that he was developing a product he just had got funding for this entire product from some other source and he only told us this is a solution for his four or five stores so there is this constant disconnect and lot of bad blood created because of this lack of vision and this was one contributing factor it had its roots uh, at with the, at the customer side and because it was a flow down from from the customer vision it percolated into the team there are people who went on site then the people here did not quite gel they blamed the people who went on site because they said oh you you didn't do a proper job of requirements look all these things requirements are coming now so you guys just went had a good time there in pittsburgh and then came back and now we are seeing all the kind of worms opening up there was a lot of within the team conflicts and people of varying skills and so i think this lack of alignment i would say is, is the biggest reason and the team was really really capable outside influences and even intra team conflicts were so rampant that if we were close to being sued by the customer whether he was right in suing is is another matter but all kinds of very unpleasant situation and the anti climax was this project always used to come out with flying colors 
in all process audits. So whatever you wanted to check in terms of process, they would have it bang on. So that's the irony of it. I, I'm not I'm not an anti-process guy, and you know, with all due respect to you know process and quality professional, but these things do happen. I believe that there is some fundamental lack of alignment and the team gelling together were the two major reasons for this kind of a mess. I realized that very rarely our individual capability, there could always be some shortages and shortfalls. I have seen projects so completely fail because of technical ability of people. I have not seen that very often. And if it did happen, it was caught very early and we provided the right support in terms of training, mentoring. Does that answer your question? Yes, it did. Actually, when you're saying this right, it's also to some extent trust is like a domino effect. Once the trust between the client and the wears off, within the team also there is a lot of trust, lack of trust. Sometimes when we often hear this term, success breeds more success. It also is with mistrust, right? When you say, okay, uh, didn't you ask this question? Didn't you try this? Can you tell me the chain of events? When there is an escalation that happens, there's always this who did what at what point in time. That's when leadership has to rise, right? Not necessarily when... When there is a lot of success, when you actually say there's a problem, not necessarily getting into the cushioning uh, each action, but more from a looking at the root cause. Very well put, Shiv. I like the whole concept of crystallizing and saying that the vision was missing. While they shared a very, very small myopic view of it. But when we actually started viewing it, there was so many other tanglements. Yeah, I think I also, as the delivery leader at that point in time, the responsibility was very much mine. Only thing is, this kind of an extreme situation and project was well underway. And even the people at the front didn't quite understand what was going on with the customer side. So much of this, what I'm telling you, is something which was all covered. And by the time the horse had already bolted from the stable. This was all discoveries made later. And look at it from a business standpoint. Somebody is giving you a half million dollar project. So people will say, Shiv, why are you worrying about vision and alignment? Yes, he's got, he's giving you half million dollars to do the project. <laughs> that is the mindset. And if looking the front end at the customer side, don't even sense this problem early on. See, that was the situation. So it was all discoveries made at the hindsight. Maybe I learned a lot from that episode and I used to ask a lot of questions. People say initiation time is the time when a lot of devils in the details at initiation time. So I used to ask a lot of questions, sometimes much to the annoyance of salespeople. Ask very probing questions. Why are we really doing this? Who is going to be impacted? A lot more probing because ultimately some of these problems could well have been anticipated and the red flags raised earlier. So anyway, that is you know so much hindsight 2020 based on that project. So that was that and, uh, and of course the other experience was a team which was performing so wonderfully well and it was a realization that 50 to 60 clients and warehouses in General Motors, they depended on their fixes. If they didn't fix, you know, provide the fix in four hours, parts will not leave the General Motors warehouse and General Motors will incur a penalty. It's not that the work was exciting. The business impact of what they were doing was abundantly clear to them. And when they met their service levels and, and the downtime was contained, they received fantastic commendations. So I think that alignment was fully there. What, what was the need for response time? What would happen if they did not meet those response times was abundantly clear clear to the India team. And that made all the difference. And the alignment was almost by default. It was automatic when the customer initiated this engagement. He said, look, if you guys don't do something not to our expectations, this is the consequence. So understand how our success is going to be impacted by your success. 
that was very very clear i think that is a major thing and in many cases i think you are exactly right when there is that lot of trust we worked for another company which was uh, which eventually was taken over by nokia this is a path breaking effort in enabling mobile content right and how to massage the content depending on you know various target platforms whether you have a phone or any other device so so there the, the goal was to establish a complete trust relationship between the customer team and the india team as a provider and that was a stated goal he said i want my engineers in india to be as good as the engineers i have back in the us so that was the customer's goal right and that bred a lot of close interactions and you know you can't achieve that kind of parity without a lot of openness and trust so you are exactly right that that is a very important thing and once there is a breakage you are right you put it nicely that you know there's there's a domino effect and that is a domino effect and then yeah and in my experience some of it is also about large scale application development there the volatility of requirements are lot higher the, when we we often call this vuca right when there is a volat too much volatility handling right. that and uh, but maintenance even when there is a lot of volatility when there is lot of stress slas and then very very well gelled and and incrementally you have to keep making improvements and changes human mind it's almost having smaller capsules of work that you can do and you can keep moving from one point to the other i think that helps and enables towards high performing in, in fact that's one of the reasons when i coach i normally say what is the next goal that you want to give just get to that and then go to the next goal because right. sometimes while we often call this uh, don't have too much of a narrow vision but sometimes that helps to say okay what is the next goal before we get distracted absolutely i think all the iterative ways of development and now from and con i think that concept of all increments a goal for that just that increment i think brings that you know tremendous focus and now that's become the default way of developing software and i think and i and i could see a lot of change from the customer's point of view to be able to invest that kind of time it's not just some requirements document and throw it over the wall and let the guys worry about how to build it no, that's vastly different i mean the way the, the business landscape and the technology landscape are very different there's a sea change and this is the only way of developing path breaking software competitive software in a, in a short time i think it's a very important breakdown not just focus on the big vision for the entire release i think it's important to focus on the short term and keep keep making incremental progress when you you spoke about people development right more you worked with people stakeholder management people development if you think about it a people development and stakeholder management is really two sides of the same coin from a you may think that you are actually managing people managing cultures in both ways your own team as well as the culture or the manifestation of how you want to work with clients how how did that change you started as a technologist working with different technologies how did that transition yeah i think it's you raise an interesting point because it's fundamentally about people interactions right whether it is a stakeholder who's 10000 miles away or whether it is your own team right here in bangalore or, or mumbai at that point in time so it is about i used to go by the book in terms of engaging with stakeholders see there is all this body of knowledge and things like that right but that body of knowledge of course keeps evolving and changing so there is a certain approach to managing stakeholders right there is a certain oh you do this you develop this pi grid develop strategies for managing the high power high interest stakeholders and all that nice stuff is there i'm not decrying any of that theory fundamentally i believe it dawned on me 
for a period of time and it's not an, it's, it's it's not an easy thing to be very passionate about because if you have been firefighting these are not instances with stakeholders either customer side or team side you say oh now i have a passion for firefighting all these kind of situations <laughs> but i think the moral of the story is that I realized that apart from all these models and stakeholder management and people motivation, fundamentally you have to become a person of influence, right? And in fact, I, that is about leadership. In fact, I recall one situation where my boss called me and said, the CEO of this of the organization, he said, Shiv, you understand, he was trying to make a point. So he was, he was telling me, Shiv, come and sit here in my chair. I said, what? No, no, you come and sit here in my chair. So I went and sat in the, in the CEO's chair and he said, Shiv, do you realize now in this chair, you really have no control as you would actually believe? Oh, the CEO has got all the control. He said, there is this chair is about influence. You have so many years of experience. I don't want to be directing you. I want to set some goals and help support, but be a positive influence in you are achieving those goals. So with stakeholders, especially with external stakeholders, you have to become a person of influence. And it works well with longer term engagements where we have the tenure to connect with stakeholders, graduate to that degree of influence with the stakeholders. I think that is a very important. The same thing is true, as you said, with the team. It is exactly the team. You're not going to sit in a corner and issue fears and the team is expected to follow, right? They're not going to do it. Your own kids are not doing that, right? You think your kids will take orders from you? No way. So you have to demonstrate that you are a person of support and you are a person who will develop influence over them for a period of time through demonstrating your value as a manager and as a leader. And that is when people will listen to you and actually over a period of time align with the goals and deliver to the goals. It's not that you don't expect them to be driven by control. It doesn't work, right? This was again a realization of moving from the people orientation and the facilitative style, which over a period of time, hopefully, I developed. It made a big difference. And I think in some cases, just amazing what people can do. I was fortunate that I had some really, really you know, capable people working for me. They hardly any time that they had to be told what to do. You had to just ask them their questions and how they arrived at certain decisions. And they will figure it out by themselves. It was a big moment, very uncomfortable moment to let, to let go of that, to be able to tell them exactly you know, what they need to be doing. Although you may think that you have the right solution, and it's very often you don't. Very true. So I, I think the change was to realize influence is what you need to develop. Okay. As a, as a leader, yeah. you're a very successful coach. I've been PM power as well as outside, right? So you're saying one is influence. When you say influence, without manager or being a command of their, let's say, performance or any of that. So you're saying one is the creating that tenure or a trust that you spoke about. What else works? Does knowledge work? Having a better knowledge in that area works? I think it's a very interesting discussion I had with one of my fellow coaches. So he said that there are ways in which that project team needs to recognize your value as a coach, right? So he had a certain point of view that, okay, the, so the coach should actually engage in these kind of discussions. Like, for example, technical aspects, engineering practices. Right? I should be able to add value in terms of engineering practices. So that's his point of view. Whereas I felt that like coach as in, in, in the agile world, right? There are various hats that a coach wears, right? He crumb custodian, for example. He is a, he's a teacher. 
right? He is a leader who, who needs to lead change. The team is not, in some cases, it needs leadership from the coach to be able to take the team to the next level of performance. And of course, the knowledge of coaching as a practice and maybe domain, right? Understand the business domain, the application domain. I know, Gayatri, that in your coaching stage, sometimes you got some pretty good handle because you know the domain so well. So the team also knows you understand their domain, then you can connect with what they are doing. Knowledge is a very important part. Knowledge of crumb, knowledge of domain, knowledge of business practices, knowledge of operations. They're, they're all knowledge to me, right? And not every coach is adept at adding value in all those dimensions. Sometimes just pick, people pick something and say, okay, you know, I can add value there. If the person is very technically oriented, he can add value. So my advice to this coach was that look at multiple dimensions of adding value, whether it is knowledge or anything else or various categories. Of, and then the team, team will see the value of it by themselves, not only in some narrow area of coaching, right? So it may be very tempting to say, in fact, I was saying that, are you talking about mentoring? Because in some cases, in my coaching experience, especially in individual performance coaching, people expect certain situations amenable for mentoring. It's not that everything goes me wearing a coaching hat. Sometimes people have a situation and they're more than happy to receive some pointers. So my coaching has always been a blend of a little bit of coaching, mentoring as required. So that oh, those mentoring situations also people remember. I mean, oh, okay, this is a good idea that I got from. So, but I let them explore. It's not, I tell them with the caveats that this is one way of approaching it. Feel free to explore other avenues. It's not, I have the right solution. It's just one way of approaching it. So you got to be a little careful about this balancing act. You don't want to be telling them a lot of things and then leave them explore, ask powerful questions and so on and so forth, all the classical coaching style. But be conscious that the value of your coaching is realized by the team almost by default. I think the key thing is if you approach coaching saying that your objective is, I want to be a great coach. I want to be recognized as a great coach then I feel somehow you're missing the point. Because I think the nuance is that I want to be able to make a difference to this individual or to this team. Whether these guys recognize me as a great coach or not, I'm not worried about that. No, I'm not worried about that outcome. It is almost a Gita-like attitude that I'm not really worried about some aspects because that is not entirely in your control. Coaching is, after all, a very subtle thing. Sometimes people say, oh, great, fantastic. Quotation is that, you know, I, I remember reading somewhere that you should be there as a coach when the team really doesn't want you there. And when the team really wants you there, that is time to exit. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting way to put it. One is the having multiple hats as yeah. a coach and helping them realize their themselves. And right. most importantly, let them experiment. You're actually giving them the freedom to go and experiment, yes. understand what their learning is and come back and share with you that right. it's not a lonely journey, right? When say the leadership at a top level, it's a very lonely journey, but it doesn't right. have to be. If you have a coach with you, you can share your ideas, you can share your thoughts and also bring that uh, level of brainstorming. Very well put. Thank you. Uh, different styles of coaching are there. And we could talk about coaching for a long time to come. We'll have some discussions even outside. In fact, one of the things that I was thinking is we should have one podcast only on uh, coaching styles. Coaching styles, I think it's fantastic. You know, given the same situation, people can approach it in multiple different yep. Yep. ways. I think while a lot of my thoughts are going on, you know, what can be the next set of podcasts that can run with the shift? I wanted to understand, there are a few turning points in your career. 
and based on yours what are a couple of yeah some of the things in, in my journey some memorable ones i just before i get to your question is that this learning has always fascinated me and this journey has taken me to very interesting places like we picked up like storytelling from childhood i have been very fond of and that's because i used to hear all this mahabharat and ramayana from my aunt who was an excellent storyteller i have a fascination i'm addicted to books so you know tamil books english books especially modern tamil literature kalki krishnamurthy's books ponniyam selvan which i have read several times and i used to be fascinated by their ability to present things although it is in written form they will be so vivid that it's almost like you are watching a movie and i felt how powerful that was and one of my things that as a trainer and as a coach also to be able to develop situations you know based on actual project experiences some of these project experiences i told you a little while back they have been packaged into some examples and case studies and caselets and some parts of it were moved up and for information kind of content was moved into e learning some parts of it were converted in games and these days gamification is a very important aspect of so as you said you know, maybe that that's another podcast for, for later in terms of how various experiments we have tried within pm power for growing our learning modules you know teaching from the back of the class and i think the two or three key things uh, the takeaways that you mentioned is that i think i mentioned it in the beginning experiment experiment early right i think early in your career you're not under so much pressure you have the time you have the options in front of you and i think rather than go in one particular track you know try several things in the first 6 to 8 years of your career i think that is a very important moment for experimentation so in in hindsight i would say i should have experimented a lot that would have given rise to a lot more things like for example i discovered pretty late my my passion for writing simply because there was not enough whether it is writing case studies or writing fiction and but i am now writing a collection of sketches of people in our own family so it is like a small monograph so the unless you attempt writing you don't realize you like it you love it right and you want to write just for the experience of it not really wanting to be a selling author and selling making huge amounts of money ala chatan bhagat so you are just doing things for the pleasure of doing it and i think it's a fortunate position to be to be able to do things just for the pleasure of doing it so unless you experiment early you don't discover all these things and the earlier you discover the more you can practice those things writing for example and enjoy it even for a longer period of time so i think that is the only thing rather than as a regret if other people are at that earlier stage in their career like for example wanting to become a consultant or a writer or a coach or things like that there are things that they need to be able to do in order to prepare for it you know for the long haul and not constrain yourself to your demands of the existing job or so some of this requires experimentation and a little longer term planning to be able to prepare for yourself and of course like i said find the right mentor i would even say find an unforgiving mentor who will not take no for an answer like gayatri <laughs> <laughs> so i think it's important uh, people to tell you very frankly where you are and what you need to do and you know what you need to do better and you know how to get better and things like that it's not not only a criticism but also giving you that confidence and self belief i think this is very important early in, in your career after a period of time you get very comfortable with who you are and then you can take things out of your own drive and earlier in the career that kind very active maybe you would even call it very intrusive mentorship is needed at least certainly i felt i could have had more of that earlier you seeing almost like a guiding beacon right and and an uncomfortable mirror to yourself 
that is be a, a mentor and continue to seek those mentors as you change your own uh, career and yeah, exactly. uh, moving exactly. forward experiment early experiment often and having more mentors intrusive mentors i like that term <laughs> i think i like your phrase gayatri mm. make sure you have an uncomfortable mirror <laughs> uncomfortable mirror all right uncomfortable mirror that's a nice expression shows you like it is very very well put shiv i have enjoyed this uh, conversation immensely i'm hope that uh, more uh, podcasts uh, you participate in, uh, be a guest host in uh, software people stories thank you so much for your time shiv i really really appreciate it thank thank you so much gayatri i really haven't talked about myself in in a forum like this this is the first time like i said and it's been very nice to reflect back and to be able to articulate it like this and to be able to be of some assistance to people who will find these takeaways while at whatever stage they are in their in their career either thank you so much thanks a lot would love it we thanks siddharth for the music and malavika for promoting the software people stories if you like this episode please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network if you'd like to share your story contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com